Thank you for listening to the sermons here at Ascension Lutheran Church. Our worship services happen on Sunday mornings. 8.30 is our traditional worship service, and 10.30 is our contemporary worship service. We'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. You can visit us also on our website at www.alcrpv.org. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this holy and wonderful day that we get to see your work done. We get to see the power of the waters of baptism pouring out upon a let's see and bringing life, forgiveness, hope, a future. Lord, each one of us comes into this place and, and we are full of our weak, full of laughter and despair, anger, pain, hope. Lord, we come into this place knowing that you will work. It's not about me, it's not about town, it's not about Amy, it's not about the the room or Mark, it's just about your power. And so, Lord, we ask that you fill every word, every word with your Holy Spirit, so that as they go out, um, they convict hearts, that your Spirit chisels eyes and ears out of a granite head, so we might know your grace, your mercy, your peace. Lord, let there be less of me, so there can be more of you. We pray these powerful things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We are in the middle of a sermon series that is lasting nine months long. Um, So it's more like a sermon marathon, I suppose, um, when you think about it that way. Fruits of the Spirit. And we are taking a month on each fruit. And we're spending time considering what it means. We now are in the fruit of gentleness. And gentleness has been the last two weeks, and we're considering this idea of gentleness and and myself struggling with the fact that gentleness is an idea that you see and you know when you see it, but almost hard to put words around. So gentleness is the fruit of the month, and we stand on Ash Wednesday, or I'm sorry, in the first Sunday of Lent. These two things are meeting, and at this intersection... I think something interesting is happening. It's really cool to have this sermon series going on and then having the church year also going on. The church year, which um, tells us about Epiphany as a season of mission and and Lent, a season of repentance, and, and Pentecost, a season of the Holy Spirit coming to remind us of these different parts of a Christian, the life of a Christian. And so if Lent is about repentance and we're in the month of gentleness, what does gentle repentance look like? For me, I don't put those words together very often. When I think repentance, it usually comes with like a a kind of a dragging, a pain, a difficulty, right? You hear the word repent, and all of you go, yeah, sounds great. That's not your typical mood, right, when you hear the word repent. And, And gentleness is never the way, not never, but rarely the way repentance is spoken. In fact, I would say to the church's shame, to our fault, most of us, when we experience the word repentance, it comes with anger. It comes with some kind of fear. I mean, I know growing up in my own life, in my own spiritual journey, there have been places that I was invited into, especially in high school, um, that I remember walking into, and the point was to make Christians, right? This event, we're going to make Christians. And what was the goal? To scare us. And so there would be um, the one I'm remembering, maybe some of you were there, 
at different points. You know, there was a devil character who had come out on the stage, and there was a Jesus character, and this family was driving in their car, and they get into a car accident, and before they get in the car accident, the, the, the parents are making fun of the kids for going to church and, and doing youth group things, and then the, the Jesus comes out, and he takes the kids, and the devil comes out and rips the parents away from the kids, and there's all this lighting, and there's all this thing happening, and at their end of this, they're like, do you want to go with the devil? Or do you want to go with Jesus? And the whole room is like, I choose the Jesus guy. Let's do that. And you walk up and you're like, this is what repentance is. I think for so many of us, we're like, okay, okay, repent. Now, how long does that last? How long does that fear last? You have to wonder how long does that moment of utter fear last? And they go, okay, I'm still in love with that Jesus character. Or I don't remember how scary that devil guy was anymore. Gentle repentance is an interesting thing to think about and to play around with in our mind. So let's do that today. Let's have some fun considering gentle repentance. So where do you start when you talk about gentle repentance? Everyone's favorite place to start, the proper distinction between law and gospel. That's where you would start, right? Yes? No? Okay. Just me? Lutherans, we love to talk about law and gospel, one of our favorite things um, to discuss. We talk about over beer, coffee, any kind of things, we'll talk about law and gospel. Um, What law and gospel is, is Luther believed that the whole Bible contained both law and gospel, every verse. It had law or it has gospel. Law has three purposes that I'll tell you about in a moment, Um, but law is there to teach us and to drive us to the gospel, The gospel is there to give us the good news that Jesus died for us and to save us. So this proper distinction between law and gospel is a a conversation that happens a lot um, in Lutheran circles. Now, when we talk about the law, there are three uses of the law. This is um, the way we typically describe it. The first use of the law is to curb society, um, just to make rules that are, are good ideas. We shouldn't go around killing each other. Yeah. Good plan. We shouldn't go stealing from one another. Also, good plan. Let's not lie. Let's not cheat. These are the kind of things. Just a general curb for society. That's a use of the law. The Ten Commandments, right? We see these kind of things. Okay, that's a good use of the law. Then there is the mirror. I'll get back to this. But Luther thought this was the most important use of the law. And lastly, um, and there's a... oh. Boy, the conversations I've had over this third one, very, very intense with my my theological friends. They're very fun conversations because, and this is the big debate, you can talk about it later, post about it, decide where you fit. Is this a third use of the law or a second use of the gospel, which is um, the guide? In response to the gospel, we as Christians then look at the law and say, okay, this is how I'm to live. This is what I do. Is that a use of the law or a use of the gospel? If you want to buy me lunch, I'd love to talk to you about this. Okay? It's really, really interesting stuff, but um, we'll talk about it another time. I said that Luther's, the second use of the law was um, his, what he thought was the most important use of the law, a mirror. What the law does, it sets up in front of us something, and it says, um, behave in this way. Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not murder. I tell you that if you look at someone with hatred in your heart, you've already murdered them. And everybody goes, wait, what? How does that go? Um, You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. 
I tell you, if you looked at anyone with lust in their heart, you've already committed adultery. And every middle schooler goes, hold on. That's how that works? I'm in trouble. This mirror stands in front of us and reveals to us our brokenness. It reveals to us that we cannot, of our own strength, as Townsend prayed, do the things we need to do. And so the law is a mirror that makes us understand our unfaithfulness, our worthlessness, the ways that we can't please God of our own accord. And so the mirror stands there and we go, well, then if I can't do it, what hope is there? And that should drive us to the gospel. Oh, I can't do it. Romans 7. Why do the things I keep doing and I want to do, I don't do? But the very things I want to do, I don't do them. What a wretched man am I? What Paul says in Romans 7. But then where does he go? But thanks be to Jesus Christ, the one who has done it. You see, what the law does is it makes us recognize that we can't do it on our own. Right? Um, in the first service, we sang a hymn that I'm not remembering the name right now, but it says, you know, these things, your great love and my unfaithfulness are the two things I'm reflecting upon. If it's my unfaithfulness, then the, what I consider after that is your great love, which is why Luther said, this is the most important use of the law, to make us all realize how desperately we need Jesus. Now, this is where I think the gentleness is interesting. If we recognize how broken we are and how in trouble we are, and if we turn to Jesus and we see anger, and if we see judgment, and if we see just somebody else to tell us how broken we are, I don't think we stay. Because if repentance is turning from, right? Repentance is going in one direction and realizing I need to go in another direction. But if we go in this direction and all we see of Jesus is, is pain, is anger, is judgment, well, then we might as well go back and do the things we've been doing. Might as well handle the things that we're going to handle our way. I'm sitting across the table in a Chinese restaurant in Birmingham from a guy about my age, I'm in my 30s at that point. We're having a conversation, and in the midst of the conversation, I, um, I recognize he's struggling with just lists of different things. But I recognize in his words that when he looks at Jesus and he looks at God, all he sees is an angry God holding him over the fires of hell, ready to drop him. And he looks, and that Jesus that he's looking at says, go ahead, do that thing one more time. Say those words one more time. Do that one more time. I'm just ready to drop you. And he's scared. Because this is, this is who he sees of Jesus. Gentleness and Repentance. And so we see then in Romans chapter 2, or do you despise the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, 
Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? If in the gospel convicts you of your sin and unfaithfulness, you turn, and instead of seeing an angry God, you see a gentle, loving God who's ready to forgive you, you move towards him. You move into his arms, ready to forgive you, ready to love you, ready to hold you. Don't you recognize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, that he's a safe landing place? Um, I have this little kid's Bible that I read to Hope and to Isaac, and it's really, it's actually pretty cool because I do some things with the stories I never thought of, and one of them is the story of Jairus that we just heard here, and it starts before the gospel starts. It considers um, he is sitting by his, his daughter, his only daughter's bedside. She's 12 She's going downhill. Every day's worse. She's getting sick and sicker and sicker. And he doesn't know what to do. And all of a sudden, he thinks to himself, I know what I'll do. I'll go to that teacher that I've heard about. He can do something for her. I've heard about his goodness. I've heard about him. I'm going to go. So he goes quickly, right? Because he's worried because every moment she's getting sicker and she's going to die and I don't know what to do. So he goes quickly to get to Jesus. He goes, Jesus, I need you to come to my house because I need you to heal my daughter. She's not doing well. Come on, come on, Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, I'm going to come with you. And he starts coming and what happens? A whole crowd of people press in around him. And can't you see Jars' frustration? We have to go. My daughter is sick. We ought to get to her quickly. All these people are pressing in on you. Come on, let's go. And then, Jesus, and then this woman comes to Jesus and she touches the hem of his robe. And she's been sick. She's been bleeding for 12 years. And what that means is she's an outcast. She can't be made well. She's not clean. She's outside the village. She has no friends. Nobody can be around her, but she can't be clean to come back into town. And she goes, I'll bet you if I can touch this Jesus' robe, if I can do something, he can make me well. So she touches him, and then Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And did you notice in the text, everyone denies it, which means what? The woman who touched her, him, to get healing, she denied it as well. Why? She was immediately made well. She knows what healing's like. I've touched him. And if I look to him and I say, I touched you to be made well. And if he takes away this healing, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't go on the same way. I've had this moment of being well. I can't go on. And finally, she realizes, I have to trust in his goodness I have to believe that he's not going to look at me and shame me more and take away my healing. It was me. I did it. I needed to be made well. And you were my only hope. And what does Jesus do? Does he say, oh, it's gone. That was it. Your last chance. You are no longer going to be clean. Daughter, your faith has made you well. And Jairus is standing there going, come on, let's go. I have a daughter too, and she's not doing great. 
And the servant comes and says, it's too late. We've lost her. Now, Jairus knew that Jesus could heal sick people, but raising the dead, that's not possible. So he goes, I guess it's too late. And Jesus says, I have something to show you. Come on, let's go. And they go into the house and they open the room and Jesus just brings a couple of people in and they sit by their bed and, and Jesus says, just, she's asleep. She's fine. She's going to be okay. And they laugh at him. This, she's dead. We all know. We all know what's happening. And Jesus, and this is a line that I've been, this is in this little children's Bible, right? And I love this line and I've been reflecting on it now for a while And the children's Bible says, Jesus reached into death and brought up the little girl. What an amazing image. Jesus reached into the hands of death and said, you don't have her. I have her. The waters of baptism. Alexi, into death, out in life. I have you now. And I do not let go. And I will not abandon you. And I will not forsake you. Into death. Out with life. And then what is that? I mean, what's the great line where he goes, get her a snack. She's been through a lot. Right? She's had a couple of days of illness. Who knows how long? And then she died. She deserves some crackers and cheese. I just, it's just such a practical, like loving thing that Jesus says to her. Like, let's just, let's get her some food now because things are okay. Things are made well. And they go and they do this. Jairus goes to Jesus because he believes in his gentleness and his goodness and he do something. The woman touches his robe, believing he can do something. He doesn't take the healing away. If you turn to Jesus and you see someone who's ready to cast you out, throw you away, be done with you, you're not going to repent. You'll continue going your way. But if you believe in his kindness and his gentleness is there to welcome you, everything is different. Gentle repentance. Fascinating. So then, what stops us? Because everyone in this room, another cool Lutheran doctor, or doctrine, um, I'll throw a little Latin at you, simul justice et peccator. Yes, thank you. It means simultaneously saint and sinner. Um, what does that mean? Every one of us in this room, what are we doing? We're struggling with sin, and we are forgiven and loved. We have stuff inside of us that we don't want to repent of. We don't want to turn to the gentle Jesus. We want to go our own way. Why? This is the last question I've been pondering these um, couple of weeks. So what are the reasons to not repent? One, safety. We do our things the way we do it for some reason. I don't know why. Each one of us has our stuff based on our story, based on our experiences, that we do things the way we do them, and we know that way until we don't want to change it. For some reason, it's keeping us safe. We don't see the good and our negative. We refuse to forgive. For some reason, it's, it keeps us safe. And so we continue down that path for safety purposes. I know this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to keep operating in this way. This is what has kept me safe this long. I'm going to try it because this is the only way I know. Safety. Another reason we refuse to repent. Now, I am not saying these are all the reasons. 
We should probably do the rest of the year on these kind of things. Fear of losing control. If you repent and you let go, that means Jesus, the gentle, good Jesus, he's in charge now. And he's not just in charge of the parts you want to give him, but he's in charge of everything. He's in charge of your time. He's in charge of your talents. He's in charge of your treasures. He's going to make you love people you don't want to love, forgive people you don't want to forgive, go places you don't want to go. And that is really hard. And so you lose control. You let go. And we don't like that. That takes us all the way back to the garden where the serpent looks at the woman and says, you can be like God. Oh, really? I can be, okay, I'll take that. And we don't want to let go of the steering wheel of our lives, and so we refuse to repent because we want to have control. And the third has to do kind of with both of these summed up, which is a fear of change. See, because right beyond repentance is transformation. And who you're going to become will look different than who you are. And this gap is scary. Because we don't know what this is, but we know what this is. And so going through this journey, letting Jesus have control, submitting, fasting, letting go, letting go, letting go, transformation comes. But that transformation looks different. And because of that, we stay here. Repentance is a moment-by-moment, day-by-day process of dying to ourselves and turning to the gentle Jesus, knowing he will receive us and transform us. But it's time again and again and again. I know these aren't all the reasons, okay? I know that. But I'm curious for you, which one poked the hardest over which thing. Don't raise your hands. (laughs) But just let this Lent be a time for you to consider. We have a God who gave himself for us on the cross, gave his life for us on the cross, laid down everything so we could be with him, He welcomes hurting people. He welcomes desperate people. He brings them in. He he welcomed Yaris. He welcomed the woman. He did not take away her healing. And yet each one of us, everyone in this room, have large parts of our lives that we refuse to repent over. Why? Why? Why for you? So, Let's have 40 days of listening, of praying, of asking God to reveal. Maybe it's on this list. Maybe you can add four, five, and six to this. Lord, why is it so important to me that I don't forgive that person? Lord, why is it so important to me that I don't give up my security of this job? Lord, why is it so important to me that I make this status in my whatever it is? Lord, if you want me to have that, I'll take it. But I am clinging to that thing. I'm clinging to that unforgiveness. Why? And let's see what Jesus does with that question. 
Let's see what he does as we journey 40 days into this place. Don't you know that his goodness, his kindness, his gentleness leads us to repentance? So you can turn to him and know he is there for you. Heavenly Father, we don't know the answer to these questions. We don't know how or why we let sin continue to burrow so deep inside of us. But Lord, we know that we're going to be struggling, fighting this battle until, until the moment we see you face to face in glory. So Lord, we ask now that you reveal to us over these 40 days, not, not today, maybe not tomorrow, but let us be aware and ask ourselves these questions. Why does your gentleness not lead us to repentance in all areas? Where are we holding tight to our sin? Where are we allowing those things to be our driving factors? Why is it so important to us? Lord, you gently forgive. You are there to restore. You tell Jairus to, to, don't worry, I'm coming. I'll be there. I'll heal her to slow down for the woman, to not reject her, to after she has in shame covered up and burrowed herself away from you and finally says, I did it. I touched your robe. You don't take away her healing, but you heal her and restore her and let her know what it is to have life and life everlasting. Lord, as we walk out these doors and we get to see your life poured out in a let's see. Lord, we ask now that you bring about for us, each of us, new life. That this is a reminder of your power in us and for us. We pray these things in the powerful name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.